Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's, the college football podcast where we go for wins, not clicks. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and week four is in the books, and as I called it in final thoughts, Bruce, it seems like this was the week where coaches, all the coaches were, everybody was angry. Everybody had a beef with somebody. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you're really old, you might, you might have got You were in the line of fire. You might, yeah, you might have gotten a, a, a cup of soup dumped over your head. Um, the so I, you know, I talked about this offline. I was traveling back from Cincinnati yesterday, and fortunately, it was a case where all the planes and YouTube TV helped me out. Um, I was a little, probably three minutes behind everything on the biggest game of the day, which I thought lived up to it. Notre Dame, Ohio State was was a fun, passionate you know, hard nosed game. I actually thought that Notre Dame looked like the better team for much of it. I don't know if I was reading too much into, in, into, you know, you know, how physical they look like they, they were, but Kyle McCord definitely grew up as the game went on. And I thought the way it finished, I think what's going to end up happening is, and we're going to do this probably sooner than later is, the thing that people will remember most about the game is Ryan Day's impassioned. Yep. You know, where he's his voice is breaking and he goes off in the post-game press in the in the post-game interview on field, and he just torches Lou Holtz. And I forgot where I saw it, but it was like we were like, Where's Lou Holtz right now? Well, it's probably eleven thirty. It seemed like he was like challenging him to a fight. Yeah. I mean uh, I thought they were very evenly matched teams. I Felt for most of the game, and I would say even up to like the second to last play, that Notre Dame was going to win. It just felt like one of the games they win there, right? You and I grew up around this. It felt like one of the games they kind of games they win in South Bend. It didn't feel like so many of their big games over the last however many years where, you know, it'll be a moral victory if they keep it close. Like they could win this game. They were evenly matched. Uh, I mean, you know, we associate Ohio State with high scoring games and they were holding them in check other than that long Travion Henderson run. And they did that uh, last year, Stu. Remember, they were leading. Notre Dame was leading in a low scoring game late in the third quarter last year. And that was against C.J. Stroud. Right. Um, you know, it was a much. But I never thought they were going to win that game. That's the difference. Uh, it just felt like they're 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 mucking it up. They're keeping the score down. But remember, it was Tyler Buckner. And it was just like, you know, the gas is going to run out at some point. This literally went down to the final play. A f- that ball went over the goal line by about three inches. Uh, I think the thing that's going to haunt Notre Dame forever is that they had 10 players on the field for the last two plays. And Marcus Freeman almost would have been better off going into the press conference and being like, yeah, somebody told me after the game we only had 10 players. That that stinks. He admitted that he knew they had 10 players and decided to just ride with it. Didn't want to give Ohio State a chance to regroup. Wasn't willing to take the penalty, which is kind of nuts to me because unless he had no... Um, after they, pa- they had to pass on the second to last player, right? you can't afford to run and the clock runs out. But now you're down to one play regardless. And I thought, of course, they're going to run the ball. And if you th- and if I think that he probably thinks that and you're going to try to go 10 against 11 on a on a you know physical play down the middle, 
That was baffling. Yeah, when you looked at it, there was two guys on that side. Now, when the edge player comes off, you're like, man, he just kind of, uh, Trianum just got got past him a little bit. It was like from the angle sharper. Maybe he can maybe he can derail him before he's getting towards the goal line. I, I again, I thought it was a great game. I think part of why I probably felt like Notre Dame looked like the better team for much of it to me is because there was a little bit of of um, element of wow, they are going toe to toe with with Ohio State. I think. Look, the run game for Notre Dame to me was impressive. They had a bunch of different guys going in there and doing doing some damage in different ways. Whereas, you know, Ohio State had the long run by Travion Henderson where uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt. And honestly, when I saw that in replay, um, it looked, I don't want to say it looked way worse than it turned out to be, but it definitely, you know, the fact that he was able to come back in the game I mean, that was like hold your breath kind of thing where you get rolled up on. But they did, I, I thought they did a really good job slowing down Ohio State's firepower. But look, one thing that I don't know if you and I have talked too much about, but I know Max and I did that transfer story. And Ohio State definitely to me just feels like they are better on the back end now. You know, I mean, they've added... They've added and matured in the secondary, you know, talking to those guys, they feel like they have three legit corners. You know, they used to have, they used to be rolling back there, you know, four, five, six years ago, but it hadn't been that way of late and they got exposed. And again, Sam Hartman's really good. They did not do much damage. You know, when you looked at, you know, the tight end had, tight end was very effective for Notre Dame, Mitchell Evans. But beyond that, I thought they can they contain Sam Hartman pretty well and Notre Dame was comfortable trying to play that game i i would um i don't know here's a question for you spinning it forward and i do want to go back to the Ryan Day piece cuz i do think that that we need to talk about that more but do you come away from this game thinking like i come away thinking Notre Dame is a, is a legit playoff contender after watching that i actually think this is one where i came away more impressed by both teams than less. And usually that doesn't happen in a loss. Well, first of all, I, you got to give a lot of credit to Iowa State's defense. Sam Hartman came into the game. His first four games, he averaged uh, over 10 yards per attempt. And last night he had seven yards per attempt, uh, 17 and 25 for 175. And Ohio State's defense the last few years has not been an elite defense by any means. So the glass half full on them is that they went into a big game like this against a pretty good quarterback and won 17 to 14. The problem with what you just said about Notre Dame being a legit playoff contender is they already have a loss now. So the problem for them in this format is once they take an L, if they run the table, sure, they could make the playoff. But it's not like, um, you know, if LSU turns around and wins the SEC. It'll be like the Florida State game never happened, right? That's not how it works when they're an independent. So if you say they're a playoff contender, you're saying, I think they'll turn around. They've got USC. They've got Clemson. They got Duke, they got Duke next week. By the way, Duke is a top at, 20 team. At Duke. And I Duke. don't know. I don't think they're going to run the table. So I don't think they're going to make the playoff. Okay. I just think that that's, but they're one play away from winning the game and absolutely being a playoff contender. All right. Ryan Day. It was a little confusing at first. I, I had a some recollection of Lou Holtz saying something on the Pat McAfee show, but I didn't remember what it was. So I'm guessing a lot of people watching were just like, where on earth? Why is he taking these shots at Lou Holtz? Where did that come from? 
Uh, so I had to go back and look it up. He was on McAfee's show in South Bend the day before. And, you know, Lou Holtz is a Notre Dame homer through and through, right? There's no scenario where he was going to do that segment and be like, yeah, I think Ohio State will win. But I think the key line was he 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 kind of called out Ryan Day and said, look made at it his, personal, like just like personal. He said, if you look at his teams, they've he, he rattled off the top of his head all five teams or six teams that had beaten them. And he said in those games, the more physical team is one. Now, he's not that's not an original thought. That's something. Everybody has been saying, especially after the last two Michigan losses, he became the face of it. He became the face of it. And so. Like, that's probably the most recent image in Ryan Day's mind. And you could tell there was a it was a mix of that. The way they won that game must have been very cathartic. But man, was he pissed. And some people on Twitter are like, I can't believe he's going after an 86 year old man like that. It's not like Lou Holtz, like sent a tweet. (laughs) <laughs> like sitting in his house in Florida, he went on national TV and said it at that he point. He, Ryan Day. I mean, he made, yeah. you know, that he way. made it personal. And so I don't have any problem with what he said. It was, uh, it came off a bit manic. I guess what I was really surprised at is that he went back to it in the post-game press conference. Like they asked him about it. He just kept bringing up, I, you know, I can't believe what Lou Holt said. Uh, he has no business saying that. It's wrong. Our guys, he's standing up for his team. These guys are tough. These guys work their asses off, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't have a problem with what he said. It's just that that now becomes, like you said earlier, that's what everybody's going to remember about that game. Look, good for, I, honestly, good for Ryan Day. Ryan Day is 49 and six as a head coach. He came with a missed field goal last year, probably winning the national title. And people talk about him like he should get fired because his team lost basically back to back games to Michigan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, the margin for error is ridiculously high there. Right. Um, I, I thought you think what you saw was a ton of emotion coming from a guy who I don't, I think people know him a little or think they know him. And they, I feel like to some reg- regard, he kind of gets, gets uh, lumped in with Lincoln Riley a little bit because they're both really good offensive coaches who run their offense. They're also guys who took over from now Bob was more of a mentor. Bob Seuss was more of a mentor to Lincoln than than Urban Meyer was to Ryan Day, but he took over for Ryan Day, took over for Urban Meyer and kept some of the most of the best parts, the recruiting operation, Mickey Marotti, you know you remember the Jim Harbaugh third third baseline. Yeah. And I think so what Len Lou Holtz talked about, like at Ohio State, you know, they pride itself on physicality for generations and generations. And so for people to make it out like that, I think this was him voicing it. And, you know, look, this I don't think this parts necessarily should should go into this. But like for people who are like ripping Ryan Day, Ryan Day's done some amazing work in important stuff off the field in terms of mental health, where a place where. A lot of big time football coaches don't don't wade into that the way he has. Obviously, it's personal for him. But again, he's 49 and six, dude. You know, 900 winning percentage, 900. You know, look, and I I work with Urban and obviously Urban won national titles. But like Ryan Day hasn't really stubbed his toe against the teams that like against the Purdue's or, you know, like that caliber. You know, he's his teams have gone up against powerhouse teams 
and they haven't won them all. They've won some of them, but like the idea that people are like, yeah, if he loses again to Michigan, they're going to, you know, he could go. He'll be on the hot seat. Yeah. Fired. It's just insane. So they went, they played a really good team. They won a really close game. And I think if they didn't win the way they did, meaning they didn't win in the last minute, it would have come back to the fourth down call from earlier. You know, I don't know. It's probably 10 minutes earlier, real time. Um, and people are like, that's what you call, you know, kind of thing. It's like, he's on a big, you're talking about the jet sweep. Yeah. And he, look, obviously all these coaches at this level are paid an insane amount of money. So the criticism is going to come and the attention is going to come. But I think you saw a guy who is not just defending his program and his players is honestly defending himself and his record. And again, his record, the guy's 49 and six and he's 32 and two in his conference that's an insane amount of success so um like i don't know good for ryan Day. you're the coach of ohio state which has been you know as i always say the one program that has never in my time covering sports never ever had gone through any sort of down period yeah you get measured the margin for error is zero so if they do lose to michigan again this year they'll get all the criticism and more and i'll totally understand it uh but I think that I often say there's no such thing as style points on the road. You go on the road to play a top 10 team, you win by a point. Congratulations. You did it. Uh, It's not about how you did it. Do you like Formula One, but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Now, speaking of coaches who are angry at somebody, you know, a lot of buildup, obviously, for Oregon, Colorado. Dion Fever had reached, uh, you know, a new height. And Oregon just completely deflated the Dion balloon. It was a massacre. There's no other way to put it. Um, and what was interesting is, so Dan, first Dan Lanning, you know, uh, poked the bear a little bit during the week. But you don't off, they don't often... I feel like during the NCAA tournament, everybody has a camera in the locker room. and Maybe that's like a requirement. You don't often see the pregame speech come up during the game. And this pregame speech, and he knew full well there were cameras in there, was, was all about the Dion flash. You know, we're about substance, not style. We, we, aren't, we, we concentrate on wins here, not clicks. Um, and, and of course, most emphatically, the Cinderella story is over. The Cinderella story ends here, something like that. So, um, yeah, they demolished Colorado and it looked more like what I thought Colorado would look like in the TCU game, frankly, where, okay, you got a great quarterback, you've got great skill players, but your offensive line is, uh, you know, you, you, you can't build a great offensive line as quickly as they did in the portal. And, you know, Oregon, uh, came after Shador. Shador did not help himself by holding onto the ball so long on those sacks. So they became really long sacks and Bo Nix did whatever he wanted. Uh, I think he was 22 of 24 in the first half, just an absolute thorough 
demolition. So, of course, everybody will want uh, want us to stop talking about Dion at this point, but I don't think it's going to completely go away yet because they're playing USC and Caleb this week. But they came back to earth. And I think we've been pretty clear on here. We didn't, as much as we got caught up in the story and how big a story he became, it's not like we would come on here on Sundays and be like, yeah, I think this is a playoff team. Like we knew they would come back to earth at some point. They came back to earth in a pretty humbling way. Yeah, I think the question for them going forward is, can they get three more wins the rest of the way, right? Because that would get them bowl eligible. Look, if they go, you know, we talked about them being four and eight at the start of the year. And obviously that's a big jump from one and 11. Um, We didn't think they would win the way they did in terms of like, I think if you told me two and one, it would have been entirely shocking because Nebraska is not that good and hasn't been for a long time. And obviously Colorado State, you know, is a rebuild of a group of five program. It was TCU that was the surprise. And it was how well they played in spite of everything you said about the offensive line. Going forward now, look, you know, USC um, has an even more explosive offense than what they just saw. Now, I don't think they're as good in the front seven defensively as what Oregon is, but they still have way better athletes. I think the question going forward is they have Arizona State, they have Stanford, Stanford's bad. Arizona State was like pretty scrappy and and hung around with USC last night. And then later on, they get Arizona at home. I think Arizona is better than CU, but depending on how healthy CU is, I would assume that Travis Hunter will be back by then. You know, are those the three wins they get to go bowl eligible? And if you're a CU fan, even if you get to five wins, I think, you know, it's going to be disappointing because considering where this rocket ship had had gone, but I think it's getting to that. Now, again, this is, you know, I think I don't want to say pump the brakes on CU for a minute, but like this was interesting for me from a Dan Lanning side of stuff, because like I feel like people know Ryan Day a little bit. I think for the most part. First of all, you know, Dan Lanning, um, you know, came up through the Saban Kirby tree where assistants never get heard from, especially if they're guys who had never been head coaches and weren't, you know, repackaged analysts or coordinators. And then he got the Oregon job and he did a really good job in his first year following up Cristobal. And, you know, we're going to see more of his personality, I think, uh, on this. And I noticed I happened to watch. ESPN had a game, and then I ended up watching Sports Center on Friday night, and I, and they had him on the broad on their uh, Sports Center. It was either Friday night or Thursday night, whatever it was. I I happened to catch it, and they advertised Dan Lining at the top of the show, and Zubin Mahenti, who's a Sports Center anchor, was interviewing him, and it was a bunch of questions right out of the gate about Dion and Colorado. And I'm guessing that like if you're a college football head coach who's not like Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or you know you know, this, you know, already branded head coach, you're expecting, Hey, this is a great chance to talk about my program and our team, not about Dion and all this stuff. And I don't want to read into like that. Dan Lanning looked agitated and annoyed that he was getting asked a bunch of these questions, but it definitely didn't quite go the way a lot of those, a lot of those kind of sports center, you know, like patchy on the back kind of segments end up going with, with the coach who's, who's kind enough to give us 10 minutes of content or whatever on, on a late night show. And so you could kind of feel this thing building or whatever, and it did. And it just, it just blew up and let's spin this forward now though. And we talked about, you know, see who enough for now, but 
Oregon looked very impressive. Washington has been destroying people. Um, USC won, not not like overwhelmingly. You know, ASU hung around him. It wasn't Kalo's best night. There were some balls that looked like they should have been picked off. Utah, even without Cam Rising, defensively looked terrific. Dante Moore was not ready for that. I mean, he looked like he was trying, you know, he was figuring out as he went. They win 14-7, although they only scored seven points offensively. Uh, and then, to me, the best-kept secret in college football right now is what's going on in Wazoo. It's a loaded conference. It really is. I was I was really, really impressed by Wazoo. And if you look what they've done so far, they hung 50 on Colorado State in the first game. They beat a ranked Wisconsin team. Now they beat a, a top-15 Oregon State team that you and I have both been very high on. And... That has a good defense. That has a good defense. And Cam Ward has a good defense that that Cam Ward just shredded in the first half. Uh, They he's got two really good receivers. I mean, Cam Ward against Oregon State, 28 of 34 for 404 yards, four touchdowns and no picks. Kyle Williams, seven catches for 174 yards. Josh Kelly, the transfer from Fresno State, eight catches for 159 yards and three touchdowns. So. You don't normally think of Washington State the way we think of USC, Washington, Oregon with those quarterbacks. But Cam Ward is absolutely putting up the kind of numbers those guys do. So it throws a little wrinkle into this because, you know, I think they had six teams in the preseason top 25 and Wazoo wasn't one of them. And I think you've got to absolutely take them seriously in this race. The one that did not impress me is if you stayed up for the USC ASU game where USC was a 34 and a half point favorite. They, I never thought they were going to lose, but ASU, they let ASU hang around. ASU was within a touchdown twice in the second half or in the fourth quarter. And it was a little bit, and it was, it was Alex Grinch 2.0, 3.0, whatever you want to call it. Missed tackles, uh, blown coverages. And this is an ASU team that got shut out by Fresno State the week before. So as bad as Colorado looked, it wouldn't surprise me if Colorado, at least if Shador puts up some numbers against USC, because I think whereas Oregon's defense looks way better than it did last year, um, where they were able to just play man, you know, um, man coverage and go after the quarterback. I think Washington's defense is a lot better than last year. Utah shut out or almost shut out UCLA, made Dante Moore's life miserable. Like there's some defenses in that conference now, and USC's is not one of them. No, and I, I, they have to get better on the back end, right? Um, it was funny. Like we ended up, I came back home from our trip and got back early in the second quarter. I mean, early in the second half. And so, you know, my wife and son and I stayed up till I don't know eleven o'clock at night watching this game. And part of it, I think, my wife was just so like she was giddy every time they said the you know Brando said the name Scadaboo. Because it's like just a name you just never hear before. I saw that dude because when Stanford was about to hire Troy Taylor, I watched Sacramento State's playoff game, uh, last playoff game. And yeah, he's good. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Tim and Spencer were comparing him to Jacob Hester and, and um, oh, God, Toby Gerhardt. I was waiting for like Tim to throw in a Scott Durking reference or whatever. It's just like, he's Tim good. Tim also player. said toward the end of that game, God bless Tim, but he said, I've come away really impressed the last two games with Alex Grinch's defense. And I was like, off of this? Like, they had a lot of sacks because um, Drew Pine would run around and run around and hold the ball. But no, this is not. 
This was also maybe better than last year. This is not a great defense. This was also not a great game. I thought like Caleb. Um, this was not one of his best games. I mean, there was a couple of times where like the, the score could have been closer, and they drop a pick that you know was you know he threw right to a guy, and you know I I I'm interested to see how this keeps going. Now they have Colorado next week. I think they will drill Colorado. Um. You know, I think they're the best team because I think they have the best offense in the conference. And I think they have the most explosive offense in the country. That's probably not doing Washington credit. But at this point, you know, Washington played um, Michigan State, who's not good this year. I don't, you know, again, I think Washington is really good. I would love to see, you know, as the schedules get, you know, start to get more advanced. I mean, to me, the game I want to see is that game in Seattle when Oregon goes up there in the middle of next month. You're not. I think you are shortchanging Washington a little bit. They had 45 points in the first half against Cal yesterday, and it's been pretty much that way every single week. Now, Caleb is Caleb. Uh, he did some even in in a not great performance. He did some Superman stuff, but Michael Penix can do no wrong right now. Uh, that offense. You're right. Like the Oregon Washington game in a few weeks. I. I Heard last night, I couldn't believe this. They've never met as both being top 10 teams. And that is certainly heading that way. And then, of course, at some point, Washington will play SC. That's the thing. There's going to be so many big games in that conference down the stretch. Let's pivot to a, co- a conference that right now is not as interesting, but it's it's curiosity in a different way. And that is the, the SEC. We've come to know it as by far the best conference in college football. And look, if Georgia wins the national title, then it'll still have be able to to claim that. And I'm not saying you know one bad year wouldn't wouldn't undermine all that, but you know we had one of the headline games was of intrigue, Alabama sputtering all over itself. You know, got whipped by Texas and then looked really bad and shaky against USF last week. Lane Kiffin spends the entire week trolling his old boss. Right up almost till kickoff. There was some things I, I honestly missed, you know, in this as we were getting, you know, on our trip and getting ready for our game. I think I missed something that um, Michael Casagrande, who's a columnist uh, down in uh, covers Alabama, pointed this out. And he was uh, Lane Kiffin. He was on that Saturday morning on the SEC network when he added the final salvo. Quote, we're excited for this opportunity today and you never know how many more you've got. Kiffin said in the setup for the punchline, maybe this is our last time. Well, of course, Nick Saban's in his early mid 70s. And here's Lane Kiffin basically saying, yeah, who knows how much longer he's got. This is after like stirring up all the stuff about how he's they're changed defense to coordinators when Nick Saban said it's not true. And then he kind of doubled down on it. Um, and then his team got whipped. They got they got pushed around in Tuscaloosa. I did not realize that comment beforehand. It may explain this tweet Lane sent this morning, Sunday morning. Uh, Chris Lowe, pretty obvious in talking to Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss football players that they were convinced this Alabama team was vulnerable. I felt like, and our whole team felt like this was the year to get them. I just felt like we missed out on so many opportunities, Jackson Dart said. To which Lane said, we'll miss playing you guys, Alabama. Always so challenging preparing and playing the GOAT in the gold standard of college football. Always appreciate what you did for me and the time together memories. We will miss playing you guys. Is he trying to play the Saban's going to retire game? I don't know. Maybe Lane's going to leave to go try to chase the Michigan State. Yeah, maybe he's about to retire. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, look, this 
at halftime of that game, it was continuation of USF. You know, Saban was about as frustrated as I've seen in a halftime interview. It was seven to six. The only thing that was kind of, you know, um, silver lining for Alabama at that point was that Jackson Dart had played very well the first few games and he was doing nothing against them. And then in the second half, they kind of found themselves. Jalen Milrow had a big touchdown pass. But more than anything, that defense just completely dominated Ole Miss and they end up winning by two touchdowns. So glass half full. Hey, maybe Alabama found its identity a little bit in the second half. It feels a little 2015-esque. Do just enough on offense. Dominate on defense. Glass half empty. That's the same defense that Texas, uh, you know, torched uh, throughout that game two weeks ago. And so are we fully confident that defense can dominate week in, week out? Yeah, I you know, what what stands up here is so after this, Alabama has at Mississippi State, who's not good this year, and then at A&M, who beat Auburn. But, you know, we also saw them look really bad against Miami. And then it, then it's like a bunch of home games. Um, and the two you know best teams that, that are left on their schedule both have to go to Tuscaloosa, and that's Tennessee and LSU. Um, maybe they can you know keep improving. The, the offensive line, which has some youth in there, especially Caden Proctor, which was really suspect in the last couple of weeks, maybe that will get a lot better. And then you know we saw Jason McClellan run all over the Rebels. Maybe that will will form, and then they'll get to be proficient enough and efficient enough in their pass game to complement it. Um, you know, and and look, maybe they they. I, I still think LSU is better than them because um, I think LSU is much much more multiple, and I think that they're just way more balanced. I mean, you have both places have a running quarterback. Jaden Daniels has definitely gotten a lot better as a passer in that system. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's it's an interesting time because the SEC West for so long was such a heavyweight division, and it doesn't feel that way at all right now. Well, that's the thing. Both think both of these things can be true. Alabama is vulnerable. Alabama is. Uh, Probably their least uh, dominant, and that's not even the way to put it. Th- this is just the most vulnerable Alabama team since 2010. But I don't know if there's that the rest of the SEC West in particular can take advantage of that. Auburn is bad. Texas A&M and Auburn was really hard to watch. Mississippi State, not, not good. Um, Arkansas came to life last night and actually LSU needed a last second field goal to beat them. They've been kind of all over the map. So I wouldn't necessarily discount them entirely, but yeah, Alabama's not going to play many games they can lose at this point. Right now. I think there is, you know, LSU is, is I think a very good team and the rest, I think at best are kind of average teams right now, to be honest. I think, I think Mississippi state is less than average. I think Auburn is less than average. I think Ole Miss, quite honestly, is very average, um, and I think A and M will, you know, is probably above average, but I'm not sure how much above average. Well, you know what? They would be more above average if if they can continue to put twelve men twelve men on the field um, and j- use Jimbo as a tackler, as they did uh, for one play <laughs> against uh, Auburn. That was bizarre. Like, how did they not get a penalty? Jimbo was right on the field. Um, you love to play the percentage game. Percent chance Alabama turns around and wins the West. Mm, 
27%. So you're saying 27% because you think LSU is... I would, I would say LSU is 60%, and then whatever the other 13% would be um, probably 9% A&M. No, probably like... I, I'm giving all those teams zero. So an Ole Miss... Losing to Alabama puts them maybe not at zero, but close to it. So I actually think Alabama's chances are more like 40, 45% because, you know, I'm going to have LSU ahead of them, but I'm not going to have them clearly ahead of them. So it'll probably come down to that game uh, in Tuscaloosa as it often does. And I, I don't know what to think about LSU. I think they can be really good, but then why are they going down to the wire against Arkansas? Saturday night in Tiger Stadium, no less. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Stu, one team that has played a bunch of big games already, and that is Florida State. They had a scare at Boston College last week. They went to Clemson, and Clemson took it to them for much of the game. Florida State couldn't run the ball, but in the end, Jordan Travis rallied them. They win in overtime 31-24. Really good win for Mike Norvell's program. What do you take from that performance? Yeah, that was, it seemed like an evenly matched game. And it, you know, we, we overreact in week one. That's what we do, right? <laughs> and, you know, Florida State looked like the greatest team ever assembled coming off that LSU game. They've come back to earth a little the last couple of weeks. Clemson looked like they were in big trouble after the Duke game. I thought Kate Klopnik looked a lot more comfortable. They've had a freshman receiver emerge. But at the end of the day, um, Clemson's 0-2 in the ACC, which is not something you would have said anytime recently. Credit to Florida State. You know, I, again, no style points when you went on the road. Um, I think if Clemson, when Clemson looks back at the tape, they're going to really regret a couple. But Dabo had a couple um, questionable decisions late in that game. Um, obviously, now there's the whole storyline of the of Jonathan White's, the kicker who he kind of coaxed out of retirement this week. Obviously, he missed the 29 yard field goal that would have put them ahead. And then they um, just kind of let the clock run out at the end of regulation, you know, instead of giving themselves another chance. I thought that was weird. And then in overtime, and this was not his play call or Garrett Riley's play call. This was a decision made by Cade Klubnik, but they needed one yard. Uh, it was an RPO play. And instead of handing off, he threw a pass that went for no yards. So that set up uh, Keon Coleman, who's a beast. Went up one play, 25-yard touchdown. That'll do it. You know, what's interesting for me going forward with Florida State, and I think you and I both like them and feel like they are a playoff, legit playoff contender. Um, you look at their schedule now. It is, It looks much more formidable going forward now that, you know, after Clemson than I think people would have expected, right? You had Duke that has come off that. You know, big win, uh, the way they handled Clemson at home in the opener. Now, we'll see what happens with Duke, you know, now that Notre Dame's coming in there. But even after that, you know, Duke, Syracuse is actually 4-0. They haven't really beaten anybody that good, but they are still 4-0. Uh, Miami has the big has a good win over A&M, and they're going to be a top 25 team. And then that game at the end of the year at Florida, which, uh, you know, we were saying was, you know, not one that was worth looking at after they whipped Tennessee. I think that is something now 
you know, look, they're going to have a plenty of opportunities before they even get to the ACC title game. I think the question I would have for you is, do you think anyone is at Florida State and then a big gap between them and the rest of the ACC? I mean, obviously Boston College had them on the ropes and they needed overtime to, to be Clemson. How much better, if at all, do you think FSU actually is in the rest of the It's conference. the BC game that's leaving me with a little bit of pause, right? BC is bad. They lost 56-28 to Louisville on Saturday, and they almost uh, pulled off the the rally and, and, and the victory against the Knowles. I They're still really good, don't get me wrong, but it seems like they are a team. That makes me think they are a team that might lose a game they shouldn't lose. Now, the good news is Duke... And Miami and are all, are both coming to um, Doe Campbell. Florida's on the road, and I'll tell you what: the team they're not playing on that regular season schedule that I would have given the best chance to beat them is UNC, who I think we all know about Drake May. Um, their defense is playing really well. You know, if you were if you were to tell me now who do you think is going to play in the ACC title game, I would say Florida State against UNC. With Duke getting consideration, uh, so the least they don't have that on there. Much like with the Pac-12, where you know, think about it, the two conferences that probably get mocked the most in football are the Pac-12 and the ACC, and they are both better than I would have expected. Uh, more so, the ACC I think has caught me a little bit by surprise. Um, so let's say Florida State does cough one up at some point, but turns around and wins the conference championship. I would think that team's going to the playoff. Because of the LSU win. That's the thing they have in their back pocket that gives them a little bit of a margin for error. I think they will, assuming LSU is as good as you and I think they are. And that means they're a top 10 team. Now, if LSU ends up going eight and four, I don't think, because as we talked about, you know, a bunch, the SEC West is not not that good this year. So if LSU ends up being just like, you know, Ole Miss and AM. Um, then I don't think that win is going to carry as much weight. But we'll also see the one that's that you know is something that I don't think either one of us considered is what winning in Gainesville would could mean for them. Again, now if look if Florida is seven and five and just has that and that 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 dominant performance over Tennessee in September looks like an aberration, or maybe Tennessee's not. You know, it's like it's it's interesting to see how these pieces are going to come together. For all we know. Duke could knock off Notre Dame, and then all of a sudden that Duke win is going to mean a heck of a lot more than most of us would have thought it would at this point. I would, uh, I would not be that worried about Florida for the for Florida State. Congratulations on the Tennessee win, but um, twenty two seven over Charlotte last night. I think it was uh, nineteen seven going into the fourth quarter. But it's the last year of the fourteen playoff. There've been committee has gotten lucky the last few years where it's kind of worked itself out. This could be a really crowded one because you figure I would think there'll be more than one team that comes out of the big 10 with one loss or undefeated. I think the PAC 12 is going to have candidates for sure. Texas would be in the mix, possibly Florida state, the sec champs going to get in. Uh, Could be crowded. Could be a crowded field at the end of the year. All right, Bruce, before we get to our next topic, just want to remind everybody about our new partner, Graduate Hotels. If you're going to a college town for a game, for homecoming, there is probably a Graduate Hotel there, and you can get up to 20% off plus 50 bucks to spend on food and drinks. Just use code GRADFB, G-R-A-D, 
FB. They really are great for game weekends with live music, pregame refreshments, next morning helpers if you had a big night. They've got lamps, shaped like school mascots, rooftop bars, plus the hotel's usually walking distance to the stadium. So start planning that football weekend now. Don't forget, get up to 20% off your stay, plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. Book now at graduatehotels.com. Um, okay, you mentioned you may have a little bit of a, a mention of it earlier. The Iowa 325 is just depressing to me at this point. However bad you thought Iowa's offense was last year, I mean, even that offense did not have a game like this. Penn State shut them out. It was the first time Iowa's been shut out since 2000. And that doesn't even do it justice. 76 total yards, four first downs. This was a primetime CBS. They actually put Nestler and Danielson on this game. Iowa could not have embarrassed itself more. And now I'm just like, whether he hits 25 points or not, like you gotta, you gotta do something. You can't keep going like this. This is miserable. Yeah. And they had two first, first downs into the fourth quarter. I mean, you know, the other, you know, half their first downs came when they were already down 31 to nothing. Um, One for nine on third downs. It is mind blowing to see a team. And like when you started reading those numbers, it sounded like, this would have been a bad weather game or something, you know, uh, it was raining. It was raining, but it didn't seem to affect Penn state. 50 mile per hour wind yeah. wasn't, you know, it just, it's yeah. It, and, and it's like, they have some good athletes on their, on their offense. It just, they do, they do, you know, they, and, it, and, and that also is like, uh, kind of, it's an even bigger indictment of Brian Ferentz that, I mean, we all thought Cade McNamara McNamara was a big upgrade from Spencer Petras, and I think he was. But even he can't do anything in this offense. Um, I now I think I mean I'm very impressed with Penn State. Obviously, they've had a few high-profile games already so far this season. Um, They you know it's it's a dominant defense, especially their defensive line. There's there's no doubt about it. But 76 yard, I didn't. It's barely thought that was possible in a Big Ten college football game. So um, I don't know. I'm still tracking the 325, but it's just kind of like a depressing exercise at this point. Are you taking anything more about Penn State or just like, okay, Iowa's offense stinks. That's the takeaway. Drew Aller, four touchdown passes. I I think the biggest thing, yeah. Four touchdown passes against Iowa's defense, and they have really good players, Cooper DeGene especially, but they have, you know, that's not a pushover defense. And I thought Penn State handled them pretty, pretty well. Yeah, Drew Aller has been as advertised, and they were already pretty good to begin with. They just, Sean Clifford could never quite get over the hump. Drew Aller threw four touchdowns in this game. The only thing I'm a little bit surprised about is, um, you know, you coming into this season, it, the thing about Penn State would have been the running back tandem. Um, that they're going to ride that running back tandem. And and have one of the better running attacks in the country. They're actually 63rd in the country right now in yards per carry. They have not run the ball well. They haven't had to. They haven't really had a team that could take advantage of that. But that's that's been a little bit puzzling. Give me your yeah, quick think- ranking of the three top 10 Big Ten teams as of this moment. 
I think the thing to maybe button up where you're going, you know, like I know they, you know, everybody raves about Nick Singleton. He's really talented. Katron Allen is, is probably underrated because of Singleton and is really good. But the thing that is kind of like, I wouldn't be alarmed if I was a Penn state fan, but I'd be like, okay, we're due for this is those two running backs as special as they are. And one guy gets compared to Adrian Peterson. The other guy gets compared to Le'Veon Bell. I mean, those are heavyweight comparisons by people in the, that's not by sports writers talking. That's by, you know, coaches saying that, um, neither one has a, has a carry through four games, more than 19 yards. Really surprising. I think those guys will have big, you know, you know, it, it may happen against Northwestern next. It'll, you know, like they will get going. I would not be worried about the, the, the Penn state running game. You know, like you said, I, to me, it's a, this was more like, Hey, this is like the attaboy for Drew Aller. The fact that it was against Iowa's defense, they can make a lot of quarterbacks look bad. And he looked really sharp. I think of those three, I would rank a Michigan. I think Michigan won. And then like, Ohio State by a hair over Penn State. I could easily flip them. I just want to give Ohio State credit for, you know, Penn State has beaten Illinois, uh, West Virginia, and I, that Iowa offense. So we got to give Ohio State credit for beating Notre Dame, but it could absolutely turn out that Penn State's better than them. Last thing here, you were at uh, Oklahoma Cincinnati for Big Noon. And I got to say, Oklahoma for, you know, being a blue blood and whatnot, uh have not seen much of them any any impressions you had watching them up close i don't think this is a playoff contender kind of team i did not watch them like dylan gabriel's accurate and i think he's a really good quarterback um i don't think their skill talent like oklahoma's either had some cd lamb kind of game-breaking receiver or a really special running back or, you know, like both at times, I just don't feel like they have either of that. Like the running backs are pretty good. The receivers are, are talented, like Andrew Anthony, people from remember from Michigan is pretty good. Um, they have some good young offensive linemen, but it's still got to come together. I think defensively, they're probably a little better than what they had been before. Like Danny Stutzman's all over the field. I don't, if you said to me, is this one of the eight best teams in the country? I would not see, I don't, I don't see that right now. I think they're, I think they're a top 15 team, but I, I think they're, they're a big work in progress. Now, look, I mean, I know he's, they're really excited about Jackson Arnold, um, the young quarterback who's, who, you know, has looked good in games and I guess has looked great behind the scenes. I think there's some pieces they like, I mean, they have some impressive looking athletes. Maybe they're, maybe they're a year away from, from being a top 10 kind of team. I don't think they're there right now, just from just from looking at them yesterday. But you don't have to be a top 10 team, I think, this year to reach the Big 12 title game, because if you look at the Big 12, uh, it's been a lot of disappointments. A lot. I mean, Texas Tech is is having a, a brutal start to the season. Oklahoma State is terrible. Um, I, I, you know, TCU, obviously, we haven't quite. Baylor's bad. Baylor's, Baylor's bad. Like. I think, you know, Texas is now the clear favorite to win the conference, but they're going to have to play somebody in that conference title game. Do you think Oklahoma could get there? I do think they could get there. I mean, Dylan Gabriel is very talented and they do have a bunch of receivers. I just don't know. Like, I think their margin for error is going to be very slim as because I just don't think they have a bunch of guys who take over games. You know, I, I think Texas is better than them. 
Um, but you look at it, as you mentioned, you know, UCF is okay. They got to go to Kansas and Kansas is, is really good. I think they're really well coached and they have a terrific quarterback. Then they have Bedlam and Oklahoma state is dreadful. West Virginia improved credits to Neil Brown. He's had a couple nice wins. They have at BYU, which won't be an easy place to play. And Slovis is pretty good. And he, you know, I think there's, I think, I think to me, they're a nine and three, 10 and two kind of team, which to be honest, considering last year, they won six and six, that's a big step up. But again, I don't look at them like some of these other teams that haven't really played an elite team yet, whether it's a Washington, um, you know, even, you know, certainly Oregon, I think there are teams that are like impressive when you watch them and you're like, okay, I just want to see them against better. You know, Michigan hasn't played anybody. We're riding off of last year in their roster. But with Oklahoma, I'm like, man, I didn't quite see that. So, you know, again, and maybe some of this is the buyer beware because last year they they smashed Nebraska and we watched that and they turned out to be really, really average. Shout outs. All right, you go first. I'm going to give a shout out to the old alma mater. I didn't think they had it in them. I really was prepared for them to have a season like Colorado had last year. And going into the fourth quarter of the Minnesota game last night, it sure looked that way. They were losing 31 to 10. And I'll be honest, I got so caught up in the Ohio State Notre Dame game. I didn't even know the game was still going on until somebody texted me and said that it was going to overtime. They rallied from 31 10 in the fourth quarter and beat Minnesota in overtime. Uh, with uh, two, they had a 200 yard receiver. Didn't know they had that in them. So, uh, with everything obviously going on around that program, uh, that was that was a pretty big win. It was their first Big Ten win since Week Zero of last season against Nebraska. All right, my shout out is going to be to Rasheen Ali, Ali, one of the best running backs. People don't talk enough about at Marshall. I went for 174 yards. The Thundering Herd is four and zero. Last year around this time, they went to Notre Dame and upset the Irish. This one isn't as big a deal because Virginia Tech is really struggling, but they did beat Virginia Tech, which anytime if you're a group of five and you beat a power five team, especially one that, you know, Virginia Tech has been really good for a long time. They just haven't been really good in a long time now, but that's still a good win. And, and he's a he's a big time running back. I think he's one of those guys who would be starting at a lot of SEC programs as well. So your network is promoting the USC Colorado game next week as the biggest game of the year. I don't I don't know that I buy that, but I do think it'll be quite a spectacle. So we look forward to that next week. We look forward to Duke hosting its ever first ever game day game. But before we get to that, we will have our mailbag episode later this week. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Get away with the things we used to do